Hey everyone, welcome to Knickknack Nerd. I'm Greg Burlett, and I'm here with my friend Anthony Keelan. And also, we have a special guest today, Mr. Terry Jacob. Welcome, Terry. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Hey, so we brought in Terry because today we are talking about GameStop and all the crazy things that are going on in the stock market right now. And uh, Terry has done a lot of trading in the past and knows quite a bit about it. And uh, we thought we would brought him, bring him in and um, pick his brain. He actually prepared notes for this podcast. So buckle up, people, because we are getting a timeline. You're going to get succinct data. It's going to be great. So, um, Terry, why don't, you, uh, why don't you punch us in? Get people up to speed with uh, with what's what's going on with uh, with GameStop right now. Thanks, and I guess I should start this off by saying this is not financial advice. I think that's been the uh, common, <laughs> common theme for uh, for everyone talking about GameStop right now. And there is a lot of media attention, and uh, especially eyes on Reddit right now, and how this just came about almost overnight and in 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 such a crazy way, almost to movement levels. Um, especially kind of because of the actions by Robinhood over this last trading week. So, um, you know, I, I wouldn't consider myself a financial expert or trading expert. I would consider myself a retail investor. And, uh, you know, I focused on finding value picks when I invested and happened to get in GameStop because I saw some of that value. And um, I think that's kind of where the story begins truthfully um, that sometimes may get overlooked in all the the craziness of the stock and so I hope that we can uh, you know explore how this started and um, really dive into the craziness and yeah just uh, maybe to uh, to kick you off here Terry it it kind of came about all at once but at the same time it was a long time coming and I think you can tell us a lot about the the road to how we got here yeah, so um, just a quick summary of GameStop. I mean, you guys probably have heard GameStop. If you're a, um, a 90s kid or tw- 2000s gamer, you've definitely been into GameStop or one of their affiliates like in Canada, it's EB Games. Um, they are a brick and mortar retailer and they were really big. You know, uh, I think the last the, the last peak was in 2007 and they are a very cyclical company, you know, usually following the trends of consoles, console refreshes. Um, but they offered me five dollars for buying back Call of Duty Modern Warfare, and I thought that was yeah, that's shit. a sick deal. That's uh, usually they give you pennies, <laughs> you know, and that is a, a terrible deal. No one will d- deny otherwise, and that is a huge part of their business to trade in part of their business. But I think at the same time as they were, um, you know, getting older as a business that kind of model didn't appeal to people anymore. And the business was kind of falling by the wayside as there was just easier options to, to, to buy games. And truthfully, well, I think the it's stock a very parallel to, to Blockbuster. Well, yeah. I mean, what happened with Blockbuster? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the comparisons to Blockbuster were very, very, uh, you know, blatant. People were calling it the next Blockbuster. Oh, and definitely. To the point where we're at this position where they were betting that it was the next blockbuster. And um, that is a bit crazy. And I, I would say that's, you know, a very, very condensed version of what GameStop has has done in the last, you know, 10 years, 20 years. They've been um, 
very up and down brick and mortar retail. They have a boatload of stores. You know, they at some point with all the acquisitions, they had 5,000 stores. Most often you would see um, stores that were owned by the same company in the same mall, you know, feet away from each other. They identified these inefficiencies, honestly, probably in the last like two or three years, lots of change in management didn't really help the situation. Um, and Tara, so I just got a quick question for you. Yeah. Have you been in a GameStop recently? Well, or, or not, EB games? not in the GameStop, but I have been in the EB games recently. Yeah. Um, I would have say you, probably in the last year. Okay. Have you noticed that like, uh, I don't know, in, within the last like five years, instead of just having like, I don't know, my, I was a kid, it was like just all video games and consoles, but now you go in there and it's like, they have you have video games and consoles, but they have like action figures and Funko Pops, like to a huge. They have a huge volume of that stuff. And, and I don't know if you noticed, kind of, yeah, kind of keep up. Yeah, and if you don't, if you didn't notice, the Funko Pops are right at the front of the store. They're huge sellers, and they're changing their business. They're adapting, and you know the biggest thing that they were missing is a huge market in PC gaming. You know where was their support for a huge market share of gamers? It really wasn't there. And I would say that has only been something that they've picked up on in the last two years. It's very interesting about um, about Anto, like talking about adaptation and, you know, how they've kind of changed over the years to, to keep afloat. Um, although they didn't completely adapt to the online distribution of, of video <laughs> games, which would, have, which would have really helped them. With, with HMV... Um, very much a blockbuster-like scenario where brick and mortar selling physical CDs and then it moved to online um, distribution of everything. And do you notice when you go into an HMV, I think the last HMV in our city was at West Edmonton Mall, and you walk in there and it's very little CDs, mostly vinyls now. It's, it's all merch. It's all plushies and like yeah. uh, little Chewbacca figurines and Star Wars stuff, Star Wars lightsabers, T-shirts. Um, it's, it's super interesting how... It's just um, too expensive to do it any other way. Selling media, physical media is, takes up a lot of room. Distribution centers just handle it a lot better or quicker. So they got completely dislocated from the market by Spotify and Apple. Yeah, exactly. It, oh, it's that just interesting that there's so many parallels to GameStop that we've been seeing in our lifetime. Um, with Blockbuster was the first to go, and then uh, yeah, what happened with EB Games, uh, GameStop, and HMV um, in different verticals. So we we have like audio and video, and ev everything is moving to digital distribution. And uh, yeah, yeah, very interesting. Yeah, so <clears throat> this, you know, blockbuster-esque uh, management of GameStop led to the, I think at its all-time low in 2019, it was, you know, sub $3 a share from an all-time high at the time of of $63 or $62. Or, so it was $3 a, dollars a share crash. Yeah, three dollars in, in in June twenty nineteen, oh. and you know, everyone thought exactly what you thought it was going to just, you know, a, a company that's outdated, 
burning is going to fall to the ashes. That's what everyone expected. But in June 2019, something else happened. On Reddit, one guy saw something kind of behind the curtains and he put a post on Reddit and he started long dated calls for 2021. He spent about $50,000. His name was Deep Fucking Value. Now infamous for that play in, in 2019, what people don't understand is at the time he was getting ripped into, you know, mods of WSB, they have a rule that you can't post a, a company with less than 1 billion market cap on there. You know, there's an infamous screenshot of him getting denied a post <laughs> because, you know, it didn't meet the criteria of getting posted, you know, and obviously there's a ton of posts of just him getting absolutely, you know, assaulted because of this play. Oh, and if you want to look up uh, that post, WSB is uh, the subreddit Wall Street Bets. So, you know, a lot of hate, but he remained remained very, very true to his convictions of this stock. And he saw it as a deep value. He really did. And, you know, he posts a monthly update from June um, every month about his positions and... I think in July it went down even further and he's in the red post his update. Like, you know, he takes his licks like a champion and people are ripping into him. Like you're going to lose all your money, man. That was the easiest 53 K that, you know, we've seen put up as loss, uh, you know, as losses on the subreddit and everyone is going to just say, I told you so. Yeah. And you know what? He only posts those, uh, those YOLO updates, and sometimes he'll post, uh, like, Seif- Seinfeld memes as a response to people ripping into him. You know, so true to his convictions. He's going to he's gonna <laughs> take, you know, diamond handsing it, right? You know, from the beginning <laughs> to the end, he's held true to his conviction, and he's not, he's not swayed by the swings of probably a volatile stock at the time, you know, people thinking it's facing bankruptcy, but... He just did not believe that there was going to be a bankruptcy. So that's happening in June and July. In August, August 22nd, 2019, Michael Burry, he's the guy that caught the mortgage crisis. He was in the, you know, represented in the big short by Christian Bale, his character. He discloses the 3% watch that movie. position. You haven't watched that movie? No, I haven't. And I really want to watch it. it. it oh, it's excellent. It's cheap it's, on Amazon right now. Yeah. <laughs> they they reduced <laughs> they the price it. because of everything going on. <laughs> that's I mean, amazing. If, if that's not good marketing, I don't know. Um, but it's an excellent movie. And, um, you know, Michael Burry, he's kind of famous for this and catching the mortgage crisis um, uh, in its early stages, maybe a little too early, you know. And what he does is he discloses a 3% position in GameStop. You know, highlighting the fact that 90% of the GameStop stores are free cash flow positive. And so, you know... Tyler, he's what ma- does free cash flow positive mean um, for just everyone else? So it's pretty much... Uh, the free cash flow is the cash uh, company will generate after you take in con- into consideration um, any operations costs and maintenance costs so it's pretty it much just positive the cash that 
yes, exactly. It's the cash that you have left over after you expend after all of your operating expenditures, capital expenditures, right? It's like you're, it's, and so that is actually a kind of a little bit of a clue, a diamond in the rough clue. And at the time, he also urged a buyback, and um, he noticed that the company, because it was so low, it was actually trading at the net cash levels. So its market cap was almost equal to the amount of cash it had on hand, which if, you know, you're valuing a company, that's usually not necessarily how it goes. It's usually, you know, you're paying, you're, you're valuing company more than just its cash on hand, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, he, it's a lot of like prospect it, of what it could be, right? Of course. So right there, you know, he saw it fundamentally as a deep value play, a very contrarian play. He revealed that he was long, and that I think was really the start of, you know, these analysts. These and there's been a lot of attention to regular people being able to disseminate information that's free and public out there at a level that is equal or better than these um, professional hedge funds, investment firms. It's just regular people that can look at the clues, look at the information and see this, you know? So there was a time, I would say, after Michael Burry's statement where there are these big one-off names that are vocal in GameStop that are saying, hey guys, there's something here. You guys aren't looking? Are you not seeing this? And so I'm going to fast forward one year because that was happening from Michael Burry in August 2019 to about August of August 31st of 2020. That, you know, messaging was like sort of changing very slowly that there is something there. August 31st, 2020 really fundamentally changed GameStop's future forever. Ryan Cohen, the founder of Chewy, it's revealed that he takes a 9.9% position in Game. And 9.9% is a very important percentage number because once you hit 10% of ownership in a company, you have to file that position with the SEC. And, you know, there's more paperwork and there's a little bit more, um, you know, obviously there's more ownership, but there's more responsibility in that if you want to leave the position. There's also a time reporting period that that needs to happen so that there's no shadiness. And in reality, what that just stated was that, you know, Ryan Cohen was jumping into his next thing after Chewy. And Chewy is a a huge success success story, Um, you know. I'm going to just go back a little bit in time to the dot-com bubble. One of the first companies that came up in dot-com bubble was Pets, Pets.com, and that spectacularly crashed. No one thought you could, you know, sell pet food online, really. You know, what we really realized is there probably wasn't the infrastructure at the time for a company like that. It just didn't work. And so, you know, well, let's go back to now. Um, Amazon, for the largest pretty much time, was the major, you know, major uh, vendor for pet food and supplies in the in the U.S. And Ryan Cohen started Chewy, and people gave him that kind of that same flack, and were like, "You guys can't compete against Amazon. You're not going to do it." And there was a lot of, um, you know, 
I, I guess there's a lot of doubters. And what really happened was he turned that company from a $300 million com- dollar company to a multi-billion dollar company in just a few years. And now it's a $40 billion company. Um, I think he sold out, um, to, he sold his company, Chewy, to PetSmart. They bought it from him, uh, I think, for like $3 billion or something. I can't remember. I think $3.5 So, you know, he took... Um, you know, something like pet food and that pet experience focused it on the customer experience, really changing the way people look at that transaction. And now Chewy in the, in the U.S., 49% of dog food sales come through Chewy. Like they took a huge market share and that is only increasing. It really yeah, is. So, so you could say... Uh... He knows his way around e-commerce then. I would say that's a huge <laughs> understatement. I think he is, you know, uh, a really, he's like a, a wonderkin in that in that space. He has good people around him. And another really interesting stat about Chewy is they brought that company to $3 billion, Very, very lean operations. I think their, their capital expenditures was like, you know, $150 million a year. So they were doing this on a wow. very lean um, budget, and this is a and that's great news because if you look at GameStop now, they need that, right? They need that transformation. They need to be lean. They have stores that are slowly, you know, they're calling it the de-densification strategy, where they're they're getting rid of um, non-profitable stores, duplicate stores. Their average lease on stores is about three years, so soon they'll be able to get out of leases. Um, so, you know, as they transition to probably more of a distributor and a streamlined distribution service that benefits from e-commerce, you know, those kind of um, lean principles and lean and a lean mindset in terms of taking this business. Um, from where it is, that's huge. Yeah, absolutely. So going from from August 31st, what happens next? So three weeks later, a WSB member, he writes a post about uh, GameStop noting that it has 120% short interests. This is Jeff Amazon on on Reddit. um, And he has a Twitter that's also been excellent and he was a huge part of the stock twits community too and i will say that in that one year that i mentioned between august 22nd and august 31st that stock twits community was also growing and they were bringing that up and there was rumblings and some of the you know ogs of gamestop actually started there and had their initial discussions there um so coming back so what's the uh What's, what's the significance of a company having the short interest be 120%? What's that mean? Well, what that means is that people are trading shares that technically don't exist. Um, they're trading shares that are in excess of the amount that actually exist in the company. And that is really weird. One normal person would say, how is that even possible? And... I think that leads to probably our discussion a little later about enforcement and once we get into the fiasco and regulations with regards to the ability to short a stock greater than the amount of shares that are even available. 
you know? Yep. So I think, I think we should start so, with uh, what a short is. Like, what, yeah, do you, what, so, what does it mean when you say short a stock? Okay, so short selling is uh, when an investor will borrow a stock and then he sells the stock and then he buys back the stock to return it to the lender. But for hopefully sure, but for the short seller, back lower, right? Yes, the short seller is betting that the stock will drop in price, and then the difference between the sell price and then the buy price is the profit. So I know that's a a lot of uh, that's a lot to take in, but essentially they're leveraging stock they don't own to try and make a profit reselling it. What what and, what I understood from that was um uh like in my peanut brain regarding stock market stuff <laughs> like usually when I think about um if I'm gonna buy a stock I want the stock uh, price to go up because then I make money right that's like if right. I'm buying mutual funds if I'm buying anything like any sort of stock I want it to go up because then uh, I bought it at a lower price then it goes up and then that's my profit margin. But from what I understand, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but a short is essentially the opposite of that. You're making a bet that the price of the stock is going to drop, and that's how you make money. Is that true? In a, in a way, yes, except they're borrowing someone's stock, hoping that it goes down. So what you're explaining is actually called an option, a put option. Which is another way of shorting. Which is another way of shorting. So, you know, it's kind of interesting because the stock market now has kind of become, you know, fundamentally a bit weird because there are traditional shares and then there's derivatives and ways to leverage and, um, you know, uh, borrow and bet against over time. So, you know, some people are arguing that the stock market right now has become a bit of a casino. And <laughs> um, with, with, the, with, you know, the fact that a stock can be shorted over the amount of shares that it even exists, there's no Not ledger, only. there's no ledger showing that the, you know, the beginning and the end of the, of the stock, you know, if I wanted to recall a stock, my, my shares, for example, and get them in hand, could I get them? That is kind of the issue, right? If everyone wanted to get their shares, someone would be left with no shares because what's happening is they have synthetically created shares that they don't have. And this has led to a huge problem, a huge, huge problem. Okay, so the, the shorting that's going on right now, they're, they're selling something that doesn't belong to them. That's correct. And then hoping that they can buy it back later for a lower price. That's right. So that's like it's like me loaning you my car and you selling my car to someone else and okay. then go going to buy a similar car and, and giving that back to me. That's right. Hoping it's like changed in price at the time. But by that time. Right. Yeah. Crazy. It's it's, it's a wild. it's a really tr you know, it's a really sketchy type of arbitrage. Um oh, and arbitrage. And this is where it gets interesting, okay? So in September, this guy writes this post and he notes that it has 120% short interest. But, you know, his counter thesis, he defends the company, especially with all these new developments. And then additionally, let's think about it. He states that there's a new console cycle coming up. And we have now for sure seen 
and and in September because the new consoles were revealed. Obviously, the consoles are not going all digital immediately, and the the short sellers have kind of almost bet on um, the obsolescence of digital or uh, physical media a little early and maybe they just didn't do any due diligence either i mean there's evidence of that too but we can talk about that as we finish um the story number three you know his point was that gmail uh, gamestop's loyalty program had 55 million users where they can leverage um that kind of data to help them strengthen their business they had a strong balance sheet ryan cohen had bought a stake and really looking at that short interest, he thought that shorts were going to be underwater if they were forced to recover or forced to cover on the recovery of the, of the stock. So what he predicted was if there was a, like a convergence, a compounding of all of these factors, then really that would lead potentially to like a, a short squeeze, a, a, a point where because the stock is going so high, so far up the people that shorted the stock those 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 um stock that they borrowed they would have to deliver them to the people that initially they initially borrowed it from or sold it to sorry i believe so so you're saying terry like if uh if you gave me or if i lent you my stock and you went and sold it to, to short this company um, and and I see this company's stock is going way way up. I'm like, I want my stock back. Yeah, and I don't have it because I sold it. Now so I'm saying to, to uh, this guy, give me my stock back. And and I would be forced to find a way to get it to you, but I would have to pay as much as I you know, you know, I would have to pay way more than I paid for it. But ideally, not a, a lot more, right? Because then I'm losing money, and that's exactly what's happening. Because they have a huge short position on this, and. We'll talk about how we dis- how that's discovered as well. Um, so we're in September. Let's move on to November. Uh, Let, let's take a quick Nove- break first. Okay. Let's do a quick break, yeah. and then we'll quick hop break. into uh, into November there. Okay, sounds good. Amazon is a website that will ship you anything you need in life. Literally anything. You can even buy uranium ore and start your own nuclear reactor today. Sign up for an Amazon Prime subscription and get two-day free shipping, access to Prime Video and music streaming services, and 20% off diapers delivered right to your door. You don't even need to take off your pajamas. Sign up for Prime using the link bit.ly forward slash Amazon Knickknack Nerd, which also supports this podcast. And now back to the show. So uh, back from our break here, Terry, I think we're about to go into November. So why don't you start there? Yeah. So November 6th, uh, November 16th, 2020, Ryan Cohen now writes a letter to the GameStop board of directors and he urges the company to do uh, to conduct a strategic review and share a plan to capture market share in you know, the booming gaming industry. And, you know, he wrote this post COVID or during COVID and we all know what happened to the gaming industry in the last three years and definitely through COVID. It really, it really did benefit from all the stay at home activities. So, 
you know, he stated that they needed to evolve into a tech company that delights gamers and delivers exceptional experiences. And it's a really interesting read that, uh, um, that, that letter to the board and I can, um, I'll, I'll send it to you guys. And then if you guys want to host it anywhere, just for, we'll, for fun, we'll post links to, to all this stuff in the show notes. And he also stated that he didn't want to, he didn't want GameStop to over prioritize its brick and mortar footprint and st- while stumbling in the online ecosystem. So it was, mm. you know, a very, very direct message to the board. And like there's rumors that he and, and, and do it well and get there. Don't try and breadth first everything and do like put put energy into brick and mortar, put a little bit of energy into online, like choose a direction and go for it, right? Exactly. And um, they were definitely well behind the curve getting there and and only now really are they are they getting up to speed. So in November 2020 on the um, on the uh, Wall Street Bets forum, a WSB member highlighted that a hedge fund named Melvin Capital was going long on GameStop puts. Now, a hedge fund is essentially a collective um, that, uh, you know, it's like a pooled investment fund, and they usually do much more complex kind of trading. They're not like, you know, an investment fund like BlackRock that handles people's right. pensions and stuff. Yeah. I think the big difference between like a mutual fund or something like BlackRock and a hedge fund is that the hedge fund will both be long and short on stocks trying to hedge their, their risk and reduce their risk. Traditional, that's a traditional uh, way how hedge funds work, though some hedge funds operating right now are kind of using it to, to really kind of press their own narrative and, and make the market work how they want. You know, anyone that knows anything about their what they do, it's oftentimes that, you know, they're they're really they can be very predatory in the finance world. And oftentimes people, you know, can say that they provide no benefit. You know, they're often their goals are to, you know, they're they're, they're bent on destruction. You know they don't provide a lot, so I think this this kickback to see these funds kind of go down is because in a way they orchestrated you know the crash in two thousand eight and this seems very similar to that and you know kind of the behavior that they they're kind of the people that pull the strings so it just seems like a lot of shady behavior and we'll, we'll talk about that I, I am getting to uh, this month really soon. But um, what what we found out in November was that a hedge fund named Melvin Capital was going long on GameStop put. What a put is, is an option that lets you buy a stock um, at a later date for a lower price. It's synthetically shorting the stock um, by buying the right to sell it at a different price in the future. And what they noticed was that they, they being Melvin Capital, have been long this position for four years. So Holy. since 2016, they were betting and profiting greatly on the destruction of GameStop. And so, what was the price when they started? Do you, if you know this, what was the price when they started shorting uh, GameStop 
to November of 2020. Okay, um, so... What's that difference? Let's see. Um, in November 15... Uh, okay, sorry. Let's go January 2016. The stock was at $32. Oh. And they were... And they are... They were and still shorting it to its very bottom... You know, I think at the all-time low, it was $2.80. So they made a huge, huge multiple of money. Huge multiple of money. And instead of getting out there, you know, with a lot of money and, you know, having some prudent risk management and taking their profits, they kept going. And they took a massive, massive um, put position on them essentially going to the ground and so they were you would say they were trying to make sure gamestop was the next blockbuster that's correct truthfully that i i I, in my opinion that's exactly what it 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 seems to me they were doing and you know if you look at their positions you can't say otherwise right that's exactly what the the positions show so let's go to january 2021 this has been a pretty crazy month, guys. I feel like maybe I've aged, um, you know, lost a few years <laughs> off my life this month, just because of the action. It's been it's been unprecedented, really. In January 2021, sometime in January, early January, Ryan Cohen increases his ownership to 12.9 percent. He, you know, files the appropriate paperwork with the SEC and. Um, in an agreement with the GameStop, with GameStop, they add him to the board, along with two other affiliates of his, um, and they also get board board seats. And they are his former CFO and CEO, COO at Chewy. So, on that day, the stock goes up, and I uh, believe it goes up like 15 percent. Closes at twenty dollars, roughly. One day later. So I think that's like January. Uh, one day later, that would be the twelfth and thirteenth of January. There is just a ton of activity about GameStop um, on almost all social media. You know, Reddit, Discord, Stock Twits. Um, tw- uh, you know, just essentially believing that Ryan Cohen is going to be the person that is going to change this company around. And it's it's really starting to take effect because this ownership change, you know, really solidifies a lot of things. Once you pass pass that threshold, you know, there's a lot more disclosure you have to make going out of that position and, and leaving that. But it really just kind of feels like this is the new leader of this company. And on January 14th, the stock closes up stock closes at forty dollars. Wow. It's up up one hundred and seventy five percent. So he's really hitched his wagon. I mean, at this point, he is the de facto leader. You know, it's he's not the CEO, but he's pushing the change though. He's pushing the change, and if you do some deep diving and and know how the board seats are working, um, in June or July of this year, that's when they do the vote for their new board of directors. There are some retirements happening and there are some people that are, you know, pro Cohen. So the rumor is that he will, you know, take, try to take over 
to lead this company. So if that happens, I mean, I don't know. I'm speculating, obviously, but I think that's where that's going. It's pretty obvious in his letter to the board, his increased position. And, um, you know, when he increased his position to 12.9%, his highest buy, you know, he bought a bunch of shares at $16 a share at the time. So amazing. He's and now in his investment, I think he's up three billion. <laughs> so, or something, something ridiculous. Like he's not bad. You know, this was a good investment, but I think it's 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 more. And the funny thing is, throughout throughout this time, he's he's been memeing on Twitter a little bit. He's he's new to Twitter, and he's memeing as well. So you know, people are are buying into the hype a little bit. He's sending really, you know, he's not saying anything on Twitter. He's literally posting an emoji, and people are decrypting it like it's the da vinci code expecting uh, <laughs> you know expecting some some great miracle and you can't you can't blame the people you know people right now are such sentiment investors and believe in leadership so i don't necessarily disagree with that kind of trading like i understand it so um, terry um yeah the whole influx of people on reddit for example hopping on the bandwagon and throwing money um, into GameStop stocks, do you think that that's a result of um, of Cohen and leadership in the company, or wanting to stick it to this hedge fund for shorting GameStop? Um, you know, fundamentally, I would say that probably be a b- below. You know, I would say even upwards of like forty dollars of a share, fifty dollars, sixty dollars a share, because people were people online were posting open source due diligence that they could, you know, look through. And they were presenting their bear base and bull cases for GameStop. And there was a bear case at like $38 a share to a bull case at around $170 a share. So people were, you know, digesting information from different places. So I would I would say that realistically, I would say probably around that $30 to $50 share Mark, people were like in it for like a maybe different fundamental reasons. value yeah. and definitely all obviously people before that. But at this point, you know, above that, people are seeing kind of a macro level movement and seeing what's happening with the obvious dislocation of this stock from the people that you know, are selling it and they're seeing this dislocation in the market and they want to take advantage of it because it's, you know, been identified and the hedge funds do that all the time. Yeah. Momentum mm-hmm. has been a huge thing in, in trading for, for decades. For decades. Right? Like Absolutely. Hedge, it's not always, you know, retail investors haven't always been involved as much, but it's hedge funds following other hedge funds. Of course. Or hedge funds following the institutional money or vice versa, right? And and that's funny that you say that, Anto, because, um, you know, momentum and mimicking is a huge reason why, you know, as these shorts, uh, these short hedge funds are bleeding money. And I'm sure you guys are seeing the reports that, you know, they lost 53% today, right? Um, well, all these hedge funds mimic these the biggest hedge funds, and Melvin is one of the biggest hedge funds. I've got to say, they are you know an A plus, and there's A if you look at if you think of them as an A plus hedge fund, there's A hedge funds and A minus hedge funds, and they their portfolios mimic the A plus ones. So when 
this hedge fund is bleeding money and has to cover they're selling their long positions so they're selling their safe stock like their apple and their facebook and things like that to pay the interest they owe for this risky bet and what's Amazing. happening is that by selling their long positions those shares in those you know staple stocks and if you look at the market in general it's going down and now you mimic that with all the other hedge funds that are mimicking this number one hedge fund and that is why the market is down you know it's an instrument of what they have created and if people want to blame the retail investors i would really challenge them to look into the mechanics of how everything has worked and really ask like who who put who into this situation right and when, right. when i would say I would say Terry that those those hedge funds that have been shorting in front of GameStop <laughs> in in this situation had ample opportunity to cover their positions at a much more modest loss than they're currently faced with. Of course, and so you have to ask the question: Why haven't they covered? And probably the biggest reason they haven't covered is because you know there's rumors of just people holding the amount of shares that the total amount of shares of GameStop and there is just these fake shares of this of the stock floating around that's being traded by you know probably the hedge funds that are trying to cover and they are the ones that are going to be respond hopefully be responsible for covering but that's the question like that's why, still a, a why conspiracy are they theory though right like it, that hasn't for sure is a proven, conspiracy right? theory I, I would argue I would argue that you know, you can, you know, maybe it is a conspiracy theory, yes, but GameStop has been on the New York, New York Stock Exchange's threshold security list for over 30 days. And what that means is that when a stock um, has to, when a person is shorting a stock um, over a certain time, if they don't cover those shares that they've shorted, like the, the stock goes up after 13 days of that. Um, what they'll, what the SEC is supposed to do is make that company buy those shares so that you They're never get above. Yeah. So that you never oh. get over a hundred percent shorting. However, there's been no enforcement of the threshold securities rule. And so GameStop remains on the, failure to deliver shares like this list which essentially means there's been failures to deliver shares for over 30 days straight you can go on the sec website and like look at that that is just fact so this is like maybe in now at this point it's probably like maybe over a million shares a day but when it was like you know first on the list it was like still a quite a bit amount of shares like you know in the hundreds of thousands of shares being failed to deliver so that is not good, you know. Um, and in January, what we really saw was a battle between institutional investors that were trying to short GameStop and retail investors buying the stock and buying the right to buy the stock later because they want they thought it was going to go up. So right. I, I told you what a put option was, where you you know you're you're. Um, want the right to buy it at a lower price when you want a right to buy the stock at a higher price that's a call the call option so retail investors were buying shares 
and they were buying the option to buy shares at a later date because they thought the um, stock was going up. So this was leading into more buying pressure and more demand for GameStop. And the combination of both led to a squeeze. It wasn't the short squeeze. It's actually called a gamma squeeze. And, you know, what the institution, in my opinion, I think what on the institutional side would happen was after the stock was bought up, they still held the belief that it wasn't a good stock and the company isn't going anymore, going anywhere. And they still remained into this massively short position. And what they didn't realize was that the infrastructure that was supposed to, you know, count all these shares up are more, are now like, they're more actually more short than the number of shares that actually exist. Because retail was aggressively buying and then there was momentum. Now, so, Terry, can I stop you for a second? Let, can we maybe just talk about what happened this week? Yeah. I think so this week that, was pretty good after a break. Um, like we're talking sure. about Robinhood and uh, like what happens today if you want to buy GameStop, right? Yeah, we're about to get yeah. into that. I think yeah, that it's it's coming that. up real, real soon for sure. Because I, I love the timeline. And it really shows um, the progression of, of how we get to this moment. Can we can we stop right before we take a break? And can we do a, a a TLDR, a classic Reddit TLDR? What what's going on with GameStop? Two minutes um, about um, Melvin shorting, and then uh, you know just like the situation in like a two minute overview. Anto, do you want to do that? Yeah, sure. Thank okay. you. So TLDR, deep fucking value, uh, 2019 says, hey, GameStop is undervalued. I'm going to buy a bunch. So he buys a bunch. Later that year, uh, Mr. Murray discloses that he has a 3% interest. So there must be some value there. A year later, we get into um, Mr. Cohen. He invests 9% into GameStop. Um, then later that year, uh, some guy on Wall Street's best says, hey, this stock is way overshorted. There's potential for a short squeeze here. Um, watch out. We get into January. Ryan Cohen gets a board seat and two more board seats. And the stock price jumps 13% and then uh, jumps further to $40. And then we kind of get up to where we're at right now. Bam. Break. Humble Bundle is a video game subscription service that selects a bunch of fun games each month and you choose which games you want to keep forever. With the subscription, you also get a 20% discount off of thousands of games on the Humble Store. I often find myself browsing Steam not knowing what I want to play, when that time could be better spent trying a handful of good hand-picked games. Sign up for a Humble Choice Basic or Premium subscription using the link bit.ly forward slash humble nerd your subscription not only gets you a handful of great video games but also supports this podcast now back to the show so terry coming back here let's talk about what happened this last week and why it's been so crazy okay so on uh, january 19th um citron research they're a, a really famous um company that is famous for finding shorts they announce that they're short GameStop and they give five reasons why um, it's going to go to $20. Retail investors don't believe it. It was uh, 
not taken very well. And it shoots up. GameStop shoots up to 35.50 over the next two days and it hits its all-time high. It's a two-day rally, about 70%. And that rally starts the gamma squeeze that happened last week. January 25th, obviously... Just to jump in real quick. uh, I'm not sure if we covered it, but gamma squeeze happens when those call options become in the money and then that forces the the writer of the call option to buy those shares. So That wasn't being enforced. So more shares... No, that's enforced. You have oh, okay. to buy shares for call options because you have to deliver them within two days, I believe. That's right. It's a two-day uh, um, fulfillment. So it, the share. The, go ahead. Sorry, so, it's the puts that um, that weren't being enforced. No, it's the the naked shorting. I'm lost. So it's the it's the shorting where they're buy, borrowing shares from someone else, selling them, and then trying to buy them back at a lower price. Oh, and that's they're not like buying an option. Day. They're just borrowing shares from someone. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Okay, so on January 25th, um, the price of GameStop was increasing, and that was causing major losses to the hedge funds. And what happened was Citadel, 0.72, they inject $3 billion into Melbourne Capital, the firm that was short. Um, but this, that, that squeeze, because of the rise in price, it continues... And it spills kind of into the rest of the market, which we see because it's going down because so, they're trying to cover. Terry, just for for a sense of scale, what's the price of GameStop at at this? Point? It's at three hundred and twenty five dollars a share, and it's high over that week. It went up to four eighty during the regular market hours, which is okay. So it's it's exploded. It's exploded. It is absolutely exploded. It is you know, um, in the thousands of percent return which is absolutely okay so so back to uh back to melvin capital needing a so cash infusion from uh yeah citadel so they get this cash infusion but the hedge funds are getting called because they're running over their collateral limit and they need more money they have to cover gamestop and all the other shorts that they have. And at the same time, people are identifying the other shorts that these hedge funds have. And they're buying the shares of those stocks. Was that what happened so with AMC, it, for example? That's right. That's what yeah. happened to AMC. And so now they're bleeding money and they have to sell their long positions to cover their safe stock. So you see that market reaction. It's an accordion of movement, right? Um and then January 28th, because of the increase in, in GameStop, was that Thursday? Thursday. Broker, brokerage firms such as Robinhood and Interactive Brokers, they prevented users from buying GameStop and a handful of other stocks. Only, but they could sell. Only, able, only allowing them to sell. And this wow. results directly in a one-way pressure causing a 44% sell-off of the stock. Um and as we know, that was reversed in the next next day. GameStop recovered back to its um, two days previous high in the 300s. Um, so, you know, this is kind of where we're at right now. And the question that came up was, was this prevention of, of, of buying shares, was it mandated by the platform or was it mandated by the regulators? And really, you know... Since not all brokerages prevented you from buying shares, it feels like this was a platform level decision. And I think 
big question you have to ask is why did they not let you buy anything? And, you know, the potential speculation was that Robinhood would just be insolvent if they continue to, you know, run, run the ability to buy shares. They would be hard on the bank and be hard on Robinhood. And that's why I had, they had to stop it, in my opinion. But I don't know. And I think that's what's going to get investigated. Um, that will be very interesting to see the results of. That is exactly it. And that's kind of where we're at. Um, you know, there is uh, another question needing to be asked and people needing to realize, which is like, how does Robin Hood make money? And I don't think a lot of people know this. I, I um, don't know that. And I Robin, would love to know that. Yeah. So Robin Hood doesn't charge its customers any fees. Instead, what they do is this system called Payment for Order Flow, PFOF. So what they do is they watch and monitor all the orders that us retail um, investors put in and they get that data. And what they do is they give it to their prime brokerages. Now, Robinhood's prime brokerage is Citadel and Citadel bailed out, bailed out Melvin. Melvin. So yeah. that's one conspiracy theory right there that market maker and a um and a brokerage you know is literally bailing out the company that they're shorting so it's really it's really weird there's yeah, maybe there's a conflict a potential of conflict, potential of conflict for sure yeah yeah so what it does is when they monitor this when they monitor everyone's order and they get this data they give it to the prime brokerages like citadel and what they'll do is milliseconds before that trade completes, they will complete that order and then sell it back. Essentially being a middleman and taking the arbitrage off an order and they do it in milliseconds. And so if you go into Robinhood and you want to buy something, they'll usually set what your price is at and they'll snip it from there because you, you choose what your prices from a select selection hmm. so essentially they they being citadel sees what everyone is buying they buy it before you do and then sell it and they make money through that way interesting and then if you want to go in even further into the money citadel is responsible for 40 percent of all payment f uh for flow order volume period and they pay they paid Robinhood about $100 million in Q3. So, you know, I think with GameStop, and this is where we're at today as we wait for tomorrow, you know, it started out as a fundamental play and it 100% morphed into a momentum trade. And one side is very, very adamant on being short. And the other side is very adamant in being long. And the longs won. And somewhere in the way, the middle of each side was able to gate transactions and that led to like quite a bit of economic disturbance and, and that's gating of, transactions is um basically blocking illegal. yeah blocking how many shares me in a free market should be able to buy i should be able to buy as many shares as bought as as i want absolutely. to right of like absolutely. shares that are available to me absolutely and the yeah. problem is and i think what's happening is they can't find all the shares because obviously there's it's over 140%. So 
someone has to pay to get rid of the shares in order to cover. And the question is, will they cover? Will they get bailed out? Will they, like, what will happen? We don't know. And, um, well, does, uh, doesn't it eventually dilute, doesn't it dilute the, the market value of a single share? Let's say that there is 40% extra shares that are phantom shares that actually hold no yeah. value. It essentially deflates the market value of a single share by 40%, doesn't it? The opposite. It does the opposite. Those shares have to be, those shares have to be covered, so they have to be bought back. So yeah. there has to be a buy, a buy trade, which will increase the market value. It's just when that trade occurs. That's right. So that oh, weird. so one point okay, four yeah. times and, the amount of shares in the company have to be purchased. And so, and because they need to be purchased in order to be covered, there's interest being paid on waiting for that. Yeah. So the guy, the guy shorting the shock stock, pays interest to the guy he borrowed the stock from, and he pays that daily. Exactly. And so the brokerages that are open right now, like Fidelity and Vanguard, that will let you trade as many um, shares of GameStop as you want. They themselves, like they have a large ownership of GameStop. So, you know, they're letting their customers come in and trade as much as they want. Because when this is all over, you know, those people are going to stay with Fidelity. They're going to probably make a ton of money from all the gains that everyone makes and sticks with them. So it's a very interesting situation. I, I really don't know what's going to happen. It's unprecedented. And it was, uh, you know, very questionable behavior from a company called Robinhood. It, it'll certainly be interesting to see how that unfolds and um, whether there's um, fluctuations in the, and basically like another stock market crisis, um, sort of in the realm of, of what happened in 2008, for sure, and sort of like what ripples out from here. Because um, we're kind of, like a lot of things have happened, but I think that there's still a lot more to happen. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see how that unfolds, for sure. Darryl, yeah, I think the next, the next few weeks are gonna be pretty interesting. Absolutely. absolutely. And, and I, I think what you saw from this fiasco was, you know, the, the future thinkers that really want cryptocurrencies to work you know they really have a strong case for you know technologies like blockchain where they have a you know a ledger that is tr very transparent but secure um and so you're seeing a lot of that coming up you know bitcoin was rising there for a little bit as all this was happening because you know the question is like how does a how does a company ever get to over 100 percent short like that should never happen so we're going to see some sort of, you know, regulation or rules, but I would, I would counter that with, didn't they put rules in place in 2008 so that this, I would say like, you gotta remember that the rules in 2008 were mostly around those, um, mortgages, institutional, yeah, mortgages. Yeah. institutional money, right? Yeah. The big banks, yeah. they all have tons of regulations now about what they're allowed to do and, and what they have to disclose. Um, but the hedge funds don't don't have to follow as many of those. Well, I, I think what we're seeing is maybe the death of hedge funds. And I think everyone in the world would probably be a lot better for it. <laughs> I think that would uh, really help the um, cause for inequality in the world. But that's just me. Yeah. Um, awesome. Do you, any, anyone have any um, closing thoughts that they want to share before uh, we tap out here? Yeah, well, hopefully GameStop to the moon, guys. GameStop to the moon. Can't <laughs> yeah, stop, best won't of luck stop. to you, Terry. Can't stop, won't stop. GameStop. <laughs> GameStop.
Boom. Alright, uh, so I think let's close it up there. Uh, you can find additional info and links to what we talked about in this episode on our website. It's uh, knickknacknerd.com. If you want to write into us, you can reach us at hello at knickknacknerd.com. You can also reach us on uh, any social media, Twitter. Anto's been tweeting lately, um, at Snowcola. Um, you can download and subscribe to this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, leave us a review, it really helps us out. I'm Greg. I'm Anthony. Hey, I'm Terry. Hey, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Oh, no, 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 no